from Los Angeles, California. This is The Relationship Show with Dr. Wendy and Miss Jenny. This is a casual conversation between two friends and colleagues taking serious topics not so seriously. This podcast contains strong language and is intended for mature audiences. It is for entertainment purposes only. Enjoy. Ted Bundy, Bernie Madoff, Charles Manson, John Wayne Gacy, obviously. Oh yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, that's a good one too. But then there's that fine narcissistic versus sociopathic. Right, You know what I mean? But we'll talk about it. Okay. It's your birthday. It's your birthday. Is Uh, it? It is my birthday. Oh my gosh, happy birthday. mama. Are we recording? We are recording. Oh, all right. This distance is fine. That distance is fine. I'm picking you guys up really well, so. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yay! Yes. Hi, Big Mike. Hello, what Big up? Mike. What's going on? I'm gonna bring him closer. <laughs> what's up? What's up? What's up? Okay. All right. All right. So, welcome back, podcast listeners, to the Relationship Show with Dr. Wendy and Miss Jenny. It has been a little bit of time since our last episode because I was moving, so we didn't record last month. So it's all your fault. It's all my fault. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm How dare you have a life? <laughs> I'm sure you're all just crying, but now you can celebrate because we're back and because it's Dr. Wendy's birthday. Woo! Yes! Thank you so much. It's so fun to be perky at 20. (laughs) I love it. And to help us celebrate her birthday and to discuss our topic today is novelist and health and sexuality writer August McLaughlin. Yay! Am I pronouncing that right? Laughlin? Yeah. Laughlin okay. is correct. Thank you. Um, Welcome. I'm so excited for her to be here. I can't even tell you. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. And Dr. Wendy, you had a wonderful appearance on my show where you shared fabulous insight. I still get comments about it. And I love your work. It's so nice to meet you both. It's so nice to see you. So you can find August at August McLaughlin, and it's M-C-L-A-U-G-H-L-I-N dot com. And you can also find her at Girl Boner Radio. Yeah. If you Google Girl Boner, I come up everywhere. Okay. So if you're looking for a Girl Boner, you're going to find her. (laughs) It is Um, often. Don't you love the name of her website? I love it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Also, the tagline of Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. I think that is a wonderful mission statement. I'm so happy you're here with us. Thank you. Thank you. The mission statement really came from my own experience, not learning anything about sexual pleasure for, for girls and women as a kid. We learned about men's pleasure, but we learned about cramps and tampons and nothing good for women. And so I wondered about girl boners like since I was 11. And uh, the good girl part comes from nobody ever pairs good, like good girl and sexuality. So actually when I tell people what I do, so often they're, they're like, wait a minute, girl boner, sex? But you seem so nice. Like, you can't be both. You can't be a sexual being and a good person and love to talk about sex, which is bogus. And everybody, it's so funny, whenever I say your website, they're like, what is that? It's like, oh, taboo. It's still so fascinating. But then you go on your website and it's an amazing assortment of just... Uh, wonderful education, men, women, you know, uh, experts. and I mean, really, it's incredible for young women and teenagers, but I also tell boys to go on there, too. Thank you, and I love it. It's supposed to be for all genders, too. There, there's a focus on women because there is this huge lack 
of information and empowerment. So people who identify as female, there's a lot more information, but there's so many people who relate to the content, no matter what their gender is. Sure, and if you're if you're a male and you want to know more about the opposite gender, I mean, educate yourself. Why not go? I mean, yeah. it may not be addressing something that you yourself are experiencing in in your corporeal corporal body, but you know you can still learn and share. And it's, it's so true. And because it's still very taboo in our culture. Everyone's confused. Everyone. It's like we see so much more sex on the big screen and there's sort of like this over-sexualized part of our culture. But when it comes down to like everyday conversation and what we're learning as kids and so many people don't talk about sex with the person that they're having it with, which was me for years and years, you know, and actually I was diagnosed with a really severe eating disorder in my late teens and luckily have made it fully through and past. But in order to heal, I had to embrace my sexuality. I had this big aha moment that I had never talked about sex. I'd never, there was like this kind of invisible, you know, line around my genitals where I just do not think about that. I don't go there. And I didn't realize I had all this shame or how deeply it was affecting me. And that aha moment, I was sitting in a college class and my professor was like, we're going to talk about sex. It changed my life forever. So it's wonderful because the community that Girl Boner draws is a really fun, engaging. When you start the conversation, as I'm sure you you both know too, it's such a wonderful thing to put it out there, and then people are like, "Hey, I want to I want to talk about this too." They whisper a lot of the times, but <laughs> but they're willing to go there. They're looking for permission and safety. And you know, it's funny because when I work with young children, uh, pre adolescent, pre pre pubescent, or uh, you know, around eight, nine, 10, 11, we'll talk about puberty. And the little boys always go under the table, no matter what, they'll run under the table or even 13 year olds I've had go under the table. Um, and they don't want to talk about it. And, you know, the parents will say, Wendy, we want to talk about the puberty talk. And I'll do the, the, the I have different levels. So I'll do the light level or like the medium one or, you know, the, the full hardcore one. But uh, the girls, always want to talk um, and the boys always run under the table and sometimes the boys cry and they're just so scared to grow up because they don't know what that looks like but once we start talking about body feelings and um, sexual stuff it's very interesting it's so interesting the difference that boys run and hide yeah and girls want to talk because girls we are very verbal and it's interesting that you know that they want to have those conversations but they're not really allowed to not in a classroom setting. Well, I think that's absolutely right. I think the fact that girls are socialized to be more verbal. Yes. The the prop the, the flip side of that is that girls can get a lot of false information yeah. and, and can pass back and forth shame and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And secrecy is more common to the boys. Boys aren't supposed to feel they're it's not manly to, you know, to have emotions. And also, yeah. it, it, it's also a reflection of how the parents are dealing with it, you know. If, if, or don't deal with it. Or, they yeah. never deal with it. The fathers never talk to their sons, ever. And then there's got to be something embarrassing about going to your mother or having your mother talk to you about it, too, in those awkward years, you know, when you really do start having those, oh, my God, what's happening to my body moments. And that's the problem is it's usually one talk. It's like, the talk. So And it comes at this really awkward time when you're feeling so weird about your body already, you know? So it's it's unfortunate that it's not just, 
it should be part of the fabric of our conversations just as it's a part of our beings, you know. And, you know, it doesn't matter socioeconomic or multicultural. I have worked with gang families where the son uh, would uh, talk with me about having a father in prison and he would hump the couch. This is very common, by the way, that boys uh, masturbate by humping the couch. So Who do knew? girls. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, riding, the, riding the arm rest. And I, I don't know why, but that maybe is more expected than a boy who is just, you know, kind of not sure what, not that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. I was going to crack a joke about a girl still humping the couch <laughs> in an older well, age. Like, like, I haven't stopped. <laughs> Grandma, Started at seven, haven't couches. stopped. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Grandma, get off of that sofa. No, but, uh, but anyway, you know, his father was in prison, and we would just talk about there was no education, and... Um, pointing to his penis, erect penis, and grandma would raise him and grandma would be like, go into the bathroom and this is how you do things. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, you know, the boys don't, don't talk about it and yet they're expected to go to school with an erection and just feel shame or embarrassment or humiliation until they say, oh God, that's normal. You know, and, and uh, I tell girls about what goes on with boys at that age, and the girls are like, no way. And it's just fun to, like, also just continue to educate. I've uh, I done therapy with um, the and one of the presenting issues is how do I deal with my son's erection? And, uh, you know, we don't talk about anything, and is it okay if I walk around naked? And, I mean, there's so many, you know, taboo things or questions, and, you know, there's no one right answer. No, there, there's not, and it's also about fostering responsibility because the boys aren't getting information, and yet they're also there's an expectation that they be responsible about it. And I'm not letting them off the hook. I'm not letting anybody off the hook. But you know, there's there's still a, a social messaging issue. But all of this aside, um, as confusing as this is, it. You know, it is just as confusing to deal with what we're talking about today, uh, sociopathy and sociopaths who come into our lives and what it is like to relate to a sociopath, what they are. Um, I know you have your own background in dealing with this, August, so I'm really glad you're here to join us for this discussion. So yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Let's start by asking what is sociopathy what does a sociopath look like so i really wanted to talk about this topic because um i have many clients and uh even friends who are either dating or married in relationships or going through divorces horrific divorces and then stalking happens or uh, you know and then they get back together with the ex or the past boyfriend or they can't break up with them um, it can be girl-girl relationships it doesn't really matter what you know the the format looks like but it is so dangerous and yet so confusing because uh, now narcopath have you heard that narcopath narcopath it's narcissism and sociopath that's like uh, the latest that I, the word that i've been hearing about and um that it's so hard to tell the difference between a narcissist and a sociopath or um antisocial personality so 
what what have you what if you were to say the difference between a narcissist or a sociopath what do you, what comes to your mind august there's not one sure my my understanding and like you said there's so many perspectives and i've read many different perspectives but to me what i've gathered is there's this spectrum and that you could be a narcissist and still have empathy for people and maybe experience a little bit of guilt for things but that won't keep you from hurting people whereas if you're a sociopath you will act without any empathy, so you will not have any remorse. And you would know this more than I would, but I've also heard the kind of interchangeably used psychopath and sociopath. Yes. So I'm curious, are they the same thing, or are those also different places on the spectrum? They are the same thing. It's an antisocial personality disorder. All, all three of those things, are they're, they're pretty much interchangeable. And like you said, it is a spectrum, and, and any one definition is going to have some points that aren't, may not fit, as well as all of the definitions, even normal people, we all exhibit some of those traits at certain times. Uh, so if you're reading about, uh, or, or listening, uh, about sociopaths and go, wow, well, I do that sometimes, or oh my god, that sounds like me and my eyes. If you think you might be one, you probably aren't, right? <laughs> yeah. If you're concerned, yeah. if you're really worried, <laughs> you're probably not. So let's Sociopaths, just... narcissistic personality disorder, no, they don't really... That's so funny. Uh, you know, say, oh, I think I'm narcissistic. No, yeah. narcissists don't come into therapy, and if they do, it's for somebody else. It's not about them. And um, antisocial, you know, a lot of people will even toss that term, oh, my God, I'm dating. He's such a sociopath. You know, it's it's... It, it's a it's a it could be a simple way to describe a horrific relationship but a true sociopath is extremely dangerous and um, frightening and charming and handsome or beautiful they make you feel like what I call the magic carpet ride Why don't you come with me, little girl on a magic carpet get on you know this magic carpet ride and you meet and august can share more about her experience but you meet someone and they just sweep you away you're just they want to they tell you everything you need to hear and they 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 need you they want you they shower you with things they kind of hook you in with control why don't you tell your dreams to me and little by little, uh, passive aggressive and aggressive things, and then they kind of uh, push you away with demeaning, uh, you know, behavior or uh, statements. Um, then a little bit of some safety issues, and they start acting a bit bizarre and kind of things like red flag issues. And then people will come into therapy, or your friends will say, "God, you know, he really creeped me out." Bing! That is a red flag. Red flag. Anyone creeps you out, do not bypass that feeling. How often do we say to our friends, listen to your gut feeling, whether you're a little girl or an adult man. If you have a gut feeling something ain't right, it's not right. So what what are your experiences, your personal experiences, August? You have a story. Yeah. I do. I do. So I met this man in an acting class when I was working as an actress and I was already at a pretty vulnerable place in my life because I was moving past a really serious breakup, actually a divorce. And so everyone in the acting class, you know, you're pouring out your hearts out. So they all knew what I was going through. And I met this guy who everyone else in the class was kind of smitten by him. He was just charming, 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 and beautiful, and just 
whisked me up off my feet in this really sneaky way. And it started out with him sort of finding ways for me to have to need him, you know? And he would even create some of these where um, he did something to my car. So I would need a ride home from him. Red flag. Oh, my, oh God. my God. And I didn't, I didn't know this until later. You look back and you go, oh, whoa. You start connecting things. And, well, that didn't seem right. Well, that didn't seem, How could that have happened? And he would love bomb me. I think we talked about that when you were on my show. And the whole whisking you up. I love the magic carpet ride description because it's so true. Close your eyes, girl. Look inside, girl. Let the sound take you away. He, if I asked for a piece of gum, he would pull over and buy 70 packs of every flavor of gum. I mean, every single little thing he did was that way. It was, and having gone through a relationship where I felt kind of really underappreciated, which he knew, uh, I just could not believe the shower of love. I mean, he gave me a car. He was like, I mean, all of these really grandiose, you know, things. And not only that, he knew that I was really attracted to people with big hearts and who were caring. So he was always helping the people that I cared about. He was always talking about, it's like we had the same worldview. We had the same political beliefs. Mirroring, mirroring is a huge thing. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, I can't believe. Whatever you believe, I believe. And I believe it and we're in it together and it's the best. You and me against the world. Sometimes it feels like you and me against the world. Yes. They can't get enough of whatever you think. Yes, exactly. You just feel so cherished and and as though every thing in my life had led me to him. You know, the the divorce, this was why it happened. Meant to be, the signs. Yes, yes. And then over time, when I met him, he knew that I was planning to move to Los Angeles. I wasn't living here at the time. And from day one, everyone in my class knew that. But we were in a bookstore and he saw me looking at a book about Los Angeles. And this thing that would then happen again and again, it was like you snap your fingers and he, everything his demeanor changed. His face became someone else's face. He got so cold and angry and silent, wouldn't talk to me. And I'm like, what's wrong? Like, what, are you okay? Are you sick? And we go home and he starts having a complete tantrum throwing things, screaming, talking about how he turned it into how abandoned he had been as a child. So after all, and I grew up in a household with no yelling. I was crying just hearing yelling. He wasn't yelling at me. He was yelling around me. So I would like justify things like, oh, he's not pointing it at me. It's, I can help him through this. So first you were having the magic carpet ride of the sense of elation. He's on a pedestal, the love, the hormone, oxytocin cloud, all that. And then you're talking about a deep drop of the bipolar opposite of explosive episodes out of nowhere. Yes. Like a switch change. Yes. Also triggering your rescue feeling like, I can change him and I can I can help him and and I'm here to save him. Yes, and he's so fed into that cuz he would say things like I've always felt like there was something missing. I couldn't heal until I met you. You know, and he also and this was before the first tantrum actually. He very seductively and secretly got this 
young man from Haiti who I had so much compassion for because he was there following his dreams of acting and running a small business. He was there all by himself. And I was always trying to just like help him out a little bit in class and English was a second language and all this. And this guy I was dating knew that I really cared about this kid and I wanted him to do well. So he ended up basically making it financially a good idea for, for this young man without me knowing this to ask me to rent my studio apartment just for a month. So that month then led into two months, then led into six months. So I got completely trapped in his place. Like I'm already staying, he's my boyfriend, of course, I'm gonna stay over there. He's like, you can make a little extra money, it's just for a month, blah, Keeping blah, blah. you weak and dependent on him. Yes, after I had told him I'm so glad to finally have my own place, I was out of a bad marriage and now I have my own space and suddenly I just felt like how, I am, I'm like stuck here and I felt fear but I was already believing I was so in love with him. Can't trust yourself. No, could not. Which could is not. so important for women to trust themselves. It is so true. It is so true. And I love that you said listen to the fear because I would feel the fear and then he would do things that made me feel so crazy. And looking back, I can look at the self I was then and be like, why didn't you just leave? You know, I had friends who were like, come stay with me. Friends who were worried about my acting coach was scared for me. She's like, I told her about some of his tantrums. She said, I will come pick you up in the middle of the night and I would not leave. Not until I, I made up all these excuses when I have my own place and he, you know, I'm just, you know, and you just get into the space of feeling completely irrational and like nobody gets you. Gaslighting. Yeah. And when you feel crazy, and then you go, no, it can't be. That denial, just shove it down, push it down. Can I ask a question, August? How long before this behavior started and at, and at what point were people saying, okay, you, this doesn't bode well, this doesn't look good? It was about, I would say we were together for, it went quickly, first of all. I think it was a very intense, fast relationship, yeah. which shocked sign. me. Yeah. Impulsivity. Because it feels like, oh, it's just clicking together. And at the we had a few months of sh sheer bliss, like bliss, 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 enough to get me to really trust. I can't say goodbye to you, no matter. Claws were going in and I would say within six months scary things were happening routinely but I also was protective of him in the relationship and didn't want other people would say you know I didn't want them to think I was rushing into something either so I'd say no this is different you know this is a really good guy he he really respects my independence like mm -hmm. all these things I believed and definitely within six months once I well what happened was I started losing myself rapidly so I couldn't go to auditions he would just by chance have a breakdown right before an audition of course. he was sabotaging my career over and over and then jealousy would come out and he couldn't believe people would see me naked at a photo shoot and I'm like it's a I have to change outfits you know he was just freaking out and I'm possessive so very Irrational. possessive yeah and Jealous. it was exactly and actually it was my acting coach I think who first said you know I noticed you're you're different are you okay and I just said, you know, I'm oversensitive. There's, I'm having trouble dealing with, he went through a lot, you know, like rationalizing totally. it. And she started to ask me questions and apparently she had had a similar relationship early in her career. Mm -hmm. And I guess, I don't know if it's the acting industry that maybe attracts that some mm -hmm. or if it's just in general, but it was very similar. And she said, I just want you to know, 
I am here. My house is your house, you know. But again, I'm like, oh, she doesn't live close enough. Like, I she's overreacting. Yeah. It's not a big deal. He's wounded. I can yeah. fix him. So yeah. I just want to pipe in just for one second, and I want to get back to the story, but because I, I want to hear how you extricated yourself. But I think that this is a really good time as well when you're talking about maybe this industry invites that kind of a personality in. Generally, it is thought to be um, three to five percent of the population uh, are sociopaths, which is actually a higher number than people who have eating disorders. So I just want people to kind of put that in perspective. It's more people than have colon cancer. Um, so that's, you know, that's the guesstimate. Of course, we don't know because like Dr. Wendy said, this type doesn't come in to get help usually, I mean, unless it's really court ordered. So to kind of break that down too, that's about one in 25 people. And I think about that when I look at my Facebook page and go, okay, so let's say there's 600 people, you know, and so that's like four out of a hundred could be sociopaths. So just thinking about that, you go, wow, you know, there, there's more than one might imagine and they're in many different occupations. And yeah, I think the attention seeking and the vulnerability of actors and, and that environment is very inviting. And also being able to learn how to put on masks and like Dr. Wendy's talking about mirroring, mirroring you, mir learning how to pretend to be emotional in order to continue to fulfill one's need to manipulate because they act like the they're stimulation. in tune they're not in yeah. tune with you and tunement oh, so is good is important but you know you do feel like oh my god they get me they make eye contact yeah. more than than most people like they can really suck you in in that way which it's also something that you can talk about in terms of attachment that they they, they create an illusion of attachment but there's really a lack of attachment and if you on. look at his explosive uh, episode that is a fragment of self you're seeing a little bit of what's really underneath the little boy or whatever happened in his life uh, he kind of slipped and opened up a little bit for you and that's something for all of us to be aware of especially when it comes out of nowhere there's no trigger it's just hot and cold on and off black or white but the level of how huge that explosive episode was and then to pull it back and then, you know, kiss you and say, let's go have dinner or whatever it is, which I'm not sure that happened. But yeah, pretty much. Although he would first come groveling, really pull my heartstrings. He would cry. You can't leave me. Yes. You're the only person who understands me. You're the only person who could save me. I will get therapy. He did, but not for himself, obviously, probably for for appearances he started going to church trying to find God like he would do all these things and he would come back and forth he had my parents in love with him my parents were sending him gifts like it was they he everyone who cared about me yeah absolutely I always say when uh, narcissistic or you could say even borderline personality or um, a sociopath they, I always get a vision of this old perfume bottle called Obsession. Uh-huh. And it's this beautiful big purple, uh, or what's that, Poison. Obsession, Calvin Klein, right? So Poison or um, Obsession. And it's like a slow, like, like a spray all over whoever they come in contact with. And it's just you have that scent on you. And it's really strong. And it does something like a big tidal wave pushing you down. There's something in the moment when you're with these people that feel diagnostic, it feels 
symbolic of something different. It's a different kind of feeling. And, um, and in the highs and lows and the choppy waves that you ride, it just, it's not smooth sailing. It's really, um, uh, really uh, very disorganized, right? It's just chaotic and toxic, but scary. They, they project into you uh, terrorists. They're kind of like ISIS, right? They just go and they just try to scare the shit out of you, threaten you, and and it's kind of like slapping you and then hugging and kissing you. Right, they can be physically and verbally abusive too. I mean, that's a really, that's a, another big indicator is sort of when you're going from what you're describing to be this uh, seeming, seemingly cherishing and, and loving and just lavishing you with all these gifts to suddenly being possessive and jealous and hair trigger angry about nothing without warning and then it can go into physical abuse it's it's not always one way or the other but it's very very often and, and by that time like you're describing you're in, uh, often the partner is in a position where they're defending the relationship or their part in it but th what you're describing too Wendy some of that too it's like you have to know somebody for a little bit of time because they are so charming and they are so intelligent or at least they think they are too. Some of them think they are smarter than other people and they get off kind of by manipulating and winning the game. And the kinder and nicer you are, the bigger a challenge you are to sort of take down. Yeah, and I could totally just... see that. And the other thing you just reminded me of was when I would tell people, when I finally felt like brave enough or just scared enough to confide in someone, they would say things like, he would, what? You would never do that. And then I'm like, oh, you're right. It's me. I mean, so it's important, I think, for people to hear. If someone comes to you and says they're scared of their partner, listen. Absolutely. Like, believe them. Because you don't know what's going on. Because he would put on so many shows in public, romantic displays. One of the times, because we break up, get back together, break up, get back together. And one of the times that we got back together, we were in a restaurant and he stands up and starts singing to me. I mean, now it sounds ridiculous, but at the time it was so romantic. Like, it was like the, that movie where the kid holds the boombox up in the air. <laughs> Stay, stand by me. Yes. No, stay. Uh, say anything. Say, say anything. anything. That's it. That's it. Uh, he would dance around and sing. And you would see these little old grandmas and grandpas around us were crying. I mean, he was always a show. But when I look back, bizarre. he was never that way in private. Uh -huh. Never yep. romantic in private after a certain point. After he got me, it was hot, cold, hot, cold. Hot, cold, and then damaging, frightening, destructive. Yeah. What were some of the danger signs that you started to pick up on? Definitely his violence. And again, it wasn't directed at me, and that's what I would say that. He would say that too. You know, this isn't about you. This is about his struggle. You know, that's what he's telling me. He's, he's working through these demons for me because he loves me so much, is what he would say. But there was one time where he chased a guy who I got home from an acting class. He dropped out for, to be respectful supposedly of me because I told him I was having trouble in acting class we're both in the same class and I'm getting distracted so he dropped out for me but then he'd watch me come home and he saw a car driving behind me in a parking lot just going to park he came out and chased him with a bat did he, you even know he was watching you 
I didn't know. So stalking is a big one. Yeah, and at the time, I just, it didn't even occur to me that he had been watching me. That was something, because you kind of get so, you're being kind of brain controlled in a way, so you're still looking for the good. You're still trying to believe the first impression of who this person, you believe, he has a good heart, he's a good person. And so it didn't occur to me until later that he had to be watching because how the heck would he see a car driving in behind me? Um, and at one point, he there was this big chrome paper towel holder in his house and it was like bolted down to the counter and he was so upset, I don't even remember what it was for, he pulled it off of the counter and bashed a hole in the wall and I saw a strength, a physical strength in him that was so much more than I knew could even be possible that mm. I started, I didn't leave, but I, st- I took the step I could, which was sleeping in a separate bedroom. So there I am sleeping in a different room because I'm scared of him. I'm scared to sleep at night, but I won't leave yet. What you were saying about the stalking part is in line with that as well. It's sort of trying, trying to normalize the behavior, trying to fit it into like, well, you know, maybe that's not so unusual. Maybe it's not, he's not watching me every day, or maybe this is just this one little thing, this one little incident. And maybe if I take a step, he will do more. Right. And he would kind of, but it was never, it was always superficial. So he would just happen to be, another stalking thing, happen to be, I was going to the spiritual center on, on weekends trying to just get some inner peace and they always pop over wherever you are at by chance yeah exactly like how convenient right it's just in hindsight it's so obvious but when you're in it it is so sneaky because it's gradual and you just can't get out of your mind the person you want to believe they are it just can't be that you know this person would ever cause harm to me right yeah And also you think about your childhood and whatever you're playing out. Uh, If you don't have, you know, if you have daddy issues or if you have mommy issues or you have trauma. um, And then, you know, you typically these um, types of people come out of severe, severe physical or sexual abuse, uh, plus the genetic component. Uh, We always were raised in psychology school to think of the trifecta, right? The physical abuse, the fire setting, the animal cruelty, but not always. uh, No, and and, and that's, you know, that's the other thing is that it's a very small percentage of the sociopaths in the world that are imprisoned, that are committing crimes. They are good actors at putting on the masks. They are people who don't have a lot of close friends and friendships, right? So if you see that, that's that's a red flag. Red flag. Um, the lack of empathy, the, the sort of hot and cold switch, like you guys have, have mentioned, that's a really big one. Um, and it's all about lack of conscience. There's, there's, there's no empathy underneath it all and, and no real ability to connect to another's experience. They can fake it, but they don't feel guilt. There's a fearless, like somebody who described it as a fearless dominance that they can be impulsive, they are risk takers, they're the people who are always trying to, you know, get more, um, be more, and so they can be very successful, but they can also, the flip side of that, and this this kind of reminds me of something you were describing, August, is that they elicit this feeling of, um, some elicit this feeling of needing to be taken care of, and, and there's a lack of responsibility, like they want, they they blame everybody else and they want other people to take care of them. So even people who may not be abusive or cruel, but people who are 
for lack of a better way of putting it, sort of like pathologically lazy, who expect other people to take care of them while they just lounge around and ask, expect other people to pay their bills and, you know, do do what it is, take take care of them. And when that is no longer working, then they will move on or act out or get violent and turn it around. Like, what would you do without me? And a lot of times the person is so kind and open and, and thinks it must be me or I don't, you know, because they came on so strong at the beginning and they're so charming. They're so charming and attractive and sexual. And It was just reminding me of something I saw on ESPN yesterday and it was about this athlete and he was talking about his life and someone in his family killed his father and so anyway so he was really charming and so they you know the all the family they go and they connect with this quote uncle who killed somebody because they were abusive and kind of put the uncle on a pedestal no he can't be a murderer he can't really be no he's charming and he's sweet and we love him they continue this relationship only to find out that uh the next person that he kills is his bunkmate right (laughs) in jail and so you know murder me once what is it called murder me twice (laughs) murder me once shame on me murder me twice (laughs) yeah That's what comes to my mind. Like, what? I guess we have. Can I tell you how many people defend? That's the Jon Snow defense. Spoiler alert. So many women are in love with people who who are murderers and go, but he's sweet, but he won't hurt me. But, I mean, even a murderer. If he's in jail, he may not hurt you because he's locked up and then he's really safe. Or gangbangers or whoever it is, you know, even or mafia, whatever it is. Well, I'm also thinking about O.J. Simpson. You know, charming, and, and, and they yes. also also people who believe them. They believe their own lies, and they they never apologize. That's another big red flag: is they will not apologize. Red flag. And they tell fantastical stories about things. Like it's not just about them showing up someplace. It's it's the reason that they're there. That they explain to you that they're pulling out of their ass somehow. That's part of their gift. You know, they're con men, TV evangelists who are taking people for money. Like snake oil salesmen, gurus, people who hype themselves up. Donald Trump, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, these are you know, politicians. Yeah. A lot of them, oh, you yeah. know, that think that they can cheat Ugh. on their partners and get away with it, even if they are out in the public eye. You know, or they do NLP, neuro linguistic programming. I mean, tag words, millions and millions, American, American. I mean, just they'll find themes and patterns specific to their needs, whatever they want. They it's put all that strategic. out there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's it's so manipulative. And and again with the gaslighting, like they can tell something absurd to someone so many times that somebody starts to be, to believe it's true. You know, that they, they can tell a story and you may have been there and know that that's not how it went, but after a while you start questioning yourself like, well maybe that is how it went. Yeah. Maybe that is what happened. That's one of the worst parts I think is the incredible self-doubt they place in you because you do think you are the crazy one. Yep. You just think you're nuts. And you start shaming yourself all the time. And all those lies, like you said, they believe them and then they get you to believe them. And my ex, one big red flag was we went to go see his parents in another state. They seemed scared of him. Red flag. And we did not meet any friends in his hometown. He had one good friend that I knew in our city. He had these supposed relatives he was not related to, I later found out. And this person who's so charming and so seeming, all these acquaintances love these people. Love them. They have fans, but they don't have like friends. 
That's no a great deep, way of putting it, yeah. No deep relationships. How did you get out of it, and what would you tell others? I have women who have these serious safety issues. They're in divorces, and it doesn't even matter because the uh, partners are prolonging the relationship just to fuck with them, yeah. you know? Just to stay connected. So they'll just hire more teams, more forensic. They'll make more hiding money. And then... Oh, because it's about winning. No, but they want to stay connected, right? They don't want it to ever end. But but they want to stay connected to win. They don't want to stay connected because they are emotionally attached. Well, yeah, they're that's on the stage. Thing. Yeah, right. Attention. I mean, that's that's the difference, and I think that's also the difference between the narcissist. The narcissist, it's like it's a need to fulfill this rejection and abandonment feeling. Whereas in the sociopath, they don't feel that. There's no guilt, no remorse, no lack of love. And I they mean, want to terrorize you and scare the shit out of you. Right, because it's a game to them. It's yeah, a, it's sport. Yeah, that's you right. You know, and it's 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 fulfilling to them. Like I was saying before, the nicer and sweeter you are, or, or the smarter you are, or the more successful, the more fulfilling it is to knock you down, to to tie you up, to get you under their control. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. I was really lucky in a couple of ways, and one thing that really helped me that I think anyone who's in the situation, it's so helpful. This could be useful. First, you get to this place where you're losing yourself, right? So you have to remember who you were before. And it really helped me that I had this passion at the time it was acting. And I had this big dream and I could feel it slipping away from me. I could feel myself losing my future. I could feel myself losing this beautiful part of my creativity and something that was so gratifying that so much of my identity was wrapped up in was going away. And I couldn't handle that mentally, emotionally. That is what I thrived on. So I knew that I was moving. I still didn't have the strength to break up with him at that point, you know? So I was kind of lying to myself and trying to... So we'd break up and we'd get back together after some of these episodes. And so one of the things also that helped me was my mom came to visit and she was coming to watch me in my first independent film. And he was supposed to be there. But he started to have one of his freakouts because anytime anything good would happen for me, he had to make it terrible. But luckily, my fierce mom from Minnesota came and he wanted to pick her up from the airport, but we had this horrible argument on the way to the airport. He acted like a toddler and she got to see him how he really was, which was huge because my parents were like adopting him. They were like, get married. We love this guy. He was so charming to all of them. And so when she saw that, she could see and she could see my life i at that point i had moved to my own place so i was trying really hard to be independent but we kept getting back together we were still totally addicted to each other completely codependently addicted and my mom saw that i kept looking down at my phone it kept buzzing because at that point when he freaked out she's like i'm giving his ticket to your roommate and then when she picked up my phone she saw it was him and she saw that i was distracted when my mom visits me I am on cloud nine. It's my happiest time. Like, I love her visits. And I was distracted. I wasn't enjoying or being present with her. And she picked up the phone and she said, you are never calling my daughter again. Click. Mm-hmm. And he didn't call. He was scared at that point because, you know, mom is in town and he wasn't controlling her. He, he'd been controlling me. So we had a wonderful rest of the time. And it gave me just a little bit of space to have joy with somebody. Even though I was heartbroken, like we'd be shopping and I'm crying. But at the same time, I was feeling the beginnings of some sort of 
hope or healing and then having the film come out and things were going well for me without him and feeling what it feels like to be sometimes you need to be without the person that you think you need to feel what that is I got past the missing him for some moments and I realized how much shinier I was without him you lost yourself yes I completely lost myself and that experience showed me that she was in there somewhere like she's in there like begging to come out and she's waving her hand and like shining a light and finally I said you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna listen so I visited Los Angeles just to check things out and while I was there, I realized immediately, like, I need to live here. This is my home. I love this. So I did the very difficult and brave thing that I encouraged. Because you could always change your mind later. Like, telling yourself that is a huge thing. Because it gives you bravery. Because if I had told myself, you're never going to talk to him again, I couldn't have done that. But what I could do is I could get a new phone. I could not give him the phone number. He would not know where I was. And I could just give myself, like, a little time. Get off the radar. Exactly. So I was, you know, for two or three weeks, I didn't know anyone in Los Angeles other than a friend of mine's brother who had a room for rent. And social media? Did you get off social media? Um, Actually, he was not on social media. And social media was not nearly as booming as it is now. It was like, I think I, I hadn't joined Facebook yet. This was right before or shortly before. So that probably was huge benefit for me uh, because he couldn't find me in those places and we weren't already connected, which actually it might have been, maybe he was on social media, maybe he is in other identities. I do not know who this man is to this day. And now I have nothing, I feel nothing about him, but I, it was harder, that was a harder breakup than my divorce. It was on the phone. When, before I switched my phone over, our last call, I just said, it's over. And I cried for like weeks. I mean, I was a disaster. And right after that, I started to grow and I started to stand up on my own feet and I started booking jobs and I started making friends and you get yourself back. And I think it's really important for anyone struggling in this way to go, you don't have to, don't let your mind fixate too much on this future without this person because that won't work. That is going to hurt and really, in, a, in an ideal world, okay, so if this person, there's part of you that's wondering, well, maybe he's not so bad. Right, it's a fantasizing part. Yeah. So I'm imagining this future that I was imagining when things were good. Right. So if that fantasy is true, guess what? He's going to be there later. So put him on a shelf. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get yourself together. Work on yourself, you know, whether that's therapy, whether that's, you know, all these, whatever you can do to, to take care of yourself, knowing that you will be a better partner for whoever once you're better and the truth of it is is probably when you get there you're going to stand up and go oh my god I was victimized now I'm surviving and now I'm going to thrive and that is possible at first I was afraid I was petrified kept thinking I could never live without you by my side one of the things that's standing out to me about all of that as well and you talking about your mother's visit is that you do have a very strong internalized sense of self and I think that sociopaths really rob us of that as you've described and yes like Wendy said we have to look at where we're coming from and what may have happened to us in our backgrounds but at the same time you may have had a perfectly functional upbringing too, but you were in a vulnerable place coming out of a a broken relationship, a divorce, and going through that and trying to rediscover who you are. So 
the trauma doesn't necessarily have to come from your family. It could be from your last relationship. It could be because you're, you know, struggling with the career you want or to find out who you are and you're looking to attach to someone. Again, they can be cult leaders. Sociopaths can be cult leaders, people who are very seductive to people who aren't quite sure of who they are. But even when they do, like you, have a strong knowledge of what you're passionate about, even the healthiest of people get sucked into this chaos that they create, the, the toxicity. You know, so I work a lot with physical and sexual abuse with kids. And um, recently I was in a session with a... a a family that has, the family has a lot of physical abuse that they are working on, healing on. And I have a little eight-year-old boy that I have seen and charming, adorable, sweet, the nicest kid, talented, um, bright. And because of the level of trauma in this family, I, I, you know, kept observing and saying, oh, you know, I'm wondering where the other stuff's coming out. Totally functioning and charming in school, not a lot of friendships, pretty uh, traumatic, hyper. But I said, something's going to show up in this room. And in two seconds, um, something happened in the room. I think he tripped or something happened. And he, like a light switch, turned vicious, cold detached like his eyes glared it was like a it was frightening it was chilling in the room and everybody in the room witnessed this change the mother afterwards had said well you know what do you think that is that bipolar is that this you know who knows what it is at the moment but it's frightening we have to think about early intervention and I know that sounds silly, like, oh, early intervention for sociopaths or narcissists. But um, I think, August, what you said about kind of expanding your social support, telling someone, and I think uh, this is the first step that, you know, even with mothers and children, if you see something, a red flag, get other people to notice it. Open, expand your audience. Usually I say, fuck the audience. <laughs> if right. we're people who we don't care, you know, we don't want naysayers. We don't want people to, to down you. But with trauma, with red flag issues, with your gut feeling that says something's not right, highs and lows, you're swept away on the magic carpet ride, whatever that is, if something's not right, open it up. And, and I'm so glad I was able to witness, not glad that this, person struggled, this little boy struggles with something. But now we said, aha, what is that? And now we have more people. And believe me, I have a whole team approach of other people who can get in there and observe it more, work with attachment, help with trauma, um, more, more. And, you know, we can hope and pray with all the good therapy and medication or expanding the social network, um, maybe guiding this kid to more, uh, you know, aggressive sports. I mean, whatever it is. Right. There might be some healthy outlets for that 
behavior and and if not and if not then we can just track it and then by middle school or high school when somebody might be stalking or somebody might be doing safety issues at least he'll get a hit with some you know documentation and maybe even a legal thing that will now get him on the radar for some serious you know maybe a restraining order or something not this little kid but you know that someone has started the path of identifying a serious red flag issue early on I'm exhausted. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, scientists and researchers aren't quite sure to what it is. There are some theories that it is related to the prefrontal lobe, which is judgment and, and impulsivity, right? Controls that. So even if, like you're talking about, you can identify it and, and try to... It, it may not be changeable. It may not be able to... It's not like a switch we can turn on and suddenly somebody is going to feel empathy. But like what you're talking about, learning right from wrong. Why do some sociopaths murder? Like just a small percentage of them, and but most of them don't. Because at least they know the difference between right and wrong and what they can and cannot get away with. It doesn't mean that they care. <laughs> but there's other things that they may care about more. Uh, so, you know, teaching a kid good good and bad in terms of, ju- and right and wrong in terms of real things, sort of measurable things that out- externally, if they can't uh, measure it internally, if they don't have that natural capacity, because they may not ever. You know, we don't, we don't know yet, you know, if they're going to respond, some may respond to medication, some may not, some may take a medication and feign that they're responding to it to get away with more, to play, you know, to keep playing their game. So uh, I I find it really fascinating because it is like, there's this book that I I read called uh, The Sociopath Next Door by Dr. Martha Stout. She's she's a professor at Harvard of psychiatry and it's a great book I really recommend it to people yeah she she talks a, a lot about all of these things that that we are that we're discussing and there was a reason why I was just saying this and I just had a brain fart mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I'm glad you recommended that book though because actually my husband read it and it's so fascinating I think we can all learn so much because it has a lot of the really current and it also has a lot of scenarios because I think a lot of times we do think of sociopath as murderer whereas most of them are not and like you said they've learned ways to because they don't want to go to jail right. so let's I, I want to just highlight the difference how many singles come to me and say I think this person is a sociopath whether it's male or female what is the difference can we just clarify for our listeners what is typical dating swept away a little strong overwhelming attention versus hardcore red flag sociopathic stalkerish can you all just kind of like throw out some some different thoughts about where is that baseline it's so funny because looking back now i realize that there was some discomfort on my part when he would do these things. And even though I felt swept up, I also felt a little, you can feel something superficial about it. And you don't need to have that language around that at the time, but I didn't even know to listen to my instincts about that. I there's there's like this weird chemical blend of fear and pheromones and like you said they're really sexy and they're all these wonderful things that you, that you think you want. So it's hard to separate it. It's so funny too because when I met my husband, he was so kind and normal and healthy 
I had no idea he was interested in me for the longest time because I had been love bombed. And I know people who are very romantic and that's who they are and that's great. And they do lots of extra things and whatever. But I noticed that one thing that happens is in other people who've told me about their experiences as well as mine, when they're love bombing you, a lot of times it's also in front of other people or it's to show how cool they are. You know, it's not like when you're at home, they're gonna do this really amazing, you know, private spectacle unless they're just trying to win you over. But you will notice, I think, that they want to win all of your whole life, not just you. It's your parents and it's your siblings and it's your best friends and it's your class that you're in together. Okay, and also isolating, right? They don't want they don't want to share you with anyone. Oh, no. No. So all what the, you're, yeah, go yeah ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. What what she was just describing too kind of reminded me of what you described earlier August about being somewhere and everything being really positive and impressing everybody and then getting in the car and it's switching to a completely different attitude it's like suddenly they take the mask off and and you like I was just at a party with the most amazing charming loving boyfriend and now I'm in a car with someone who is brooding or angry or you know or whatever it is that they're somehow trying to get more attention from you they're not still riding this high so you it's kind of a Dr. Jekyll Mr. Hyde thing it totally is and what's interesting about that is you're still smitten by the wooing he did with the crowd because you feel oh everyone loves him that feels so good like I love being with someone who makes the whole room glow I love being with someone who entertains everyone and so then when that does happen and then there is a change really instead of thinking, oh my gosh, what did I do? Because that is probably what you will think if you're in that situation, (laughs) is pausing and going, wait a minute, you know, what's really happening here? And trying to have a conversation, because if you can't have a really, truly intimate conversation, and I don't talk about intimacy like sex intimacy, but just like a heart-to-heart conversation about it that's real, that's a huge red flag. Big red flag! So what isn't happening is equally as important as what is, like how we distort our mind and think what is love. So love is not a restraining order. Love is not somebody fucking with you on another level where they deny your reality. Um, Love is not someone stalking you and scaring you. What else? Love is not... Um, Needing to know where you are all the time. Yes, tracking you, GPS tracking you. Love is not puncturing your tires. Love is not um, making you feel powerless, uh, uh, dismissed, discounted, abused. Yeah, love is not um, making excuses for your friends and family about how wonderful this person is and deep down inside you're really confused as to trusting yourself yes oh that's so important and love is not lonely i mean love is not one of the biggest differences for me was i felt perpetually lonely with him Mm. when i was in love with him i thought i felt lonely and i thought again it was my fault somehow like i was why am i not feeling the way that i should feel but love is not lonely and sure we all have our quirks and our flaws and our things that we're working through but if you feel hollow and like there's there's something missing there probably is something missing 
Right, and love is supposed to make you feel like you're bringing, that person brings out your best self and you bring out that best self in the other person. I mean, obviously, in long-term relationships, that's not, you know, 100% of the time. It doesn't mean if you don't always feel like that, it's not love. But that that's sort of the default setting. That's the baseline, and that's what's normal. It's it's not about always wondering, like, I'm not good enough for this person or I'm not doing enough for this person because they're telling me I'm not doing enough for this person or they're doing too much and I, you know, or they're telling me I'm not worth Whatever it is, that self-doubt I mean, if you if you're really in a loving relationship, there's there's not a lot of doubt about it. There's, mm-hmm. it's, it's the safe place. It's not where you feel scared. It's not where you feel lonely. It's where you go when you feel scared and lonely. I have calls several times a week about this subject. That's why we really needed to talk about it more. And I'm sure this is not the last time we'll all talk about this, but calls all around the world saying, "Here's the situation. Am I crazy?" If you have to even think you're crazy or you're obsessing and perseverating about being worried or abused in a relationship, well, number one, that's not the right relationship for you. But number two, that's that's not love. And, you know, in really always, always get a professional. Go check in by yourself. And, you know, if they're not going to come with you, I mean, I have a lot of anonymous calls because they don't even want to share their names. They're so humiliated, embarrassed, or scared, or frightened that they're going to get tracked. Um, so there's so much fear, but that is not love. Right. Fear is not love. I always also say that love is giving somebody the power to hurt you and trusting that they won't. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's, you know, because it's loving anybody, you're taking a risk. But when you're coming from a vulnerable place, and especially if you've been in a bad relationship or you've been single for a long time, and then suddenly some Prince Charming comes along and right out of the gate, they are just, they are the ideal person I'm not saying it's always this way, but I think one has to stop and be just a little bit skeptical about that. I mean, we it takes time to really get to know someone. And if somebody is just putting it all out there so fast, there may be a reason for that. Because they know that over time, maybe they're not going to look yeah. so good, A. And B, there's also that I want to seduce you into thinking I'm this person that you want and not thinking about who you are and you know it's not really about you come on let's talk about sex baby let's talk about you and me let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that make me let's talk about sex I also want to go on another level and say let's talk about sex with sociopath or narcissistic or you know um, or it can be the best sex of your life it is the best the best the best and 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 what happens in their mind is that they're marking you and so they're doing it internally they're doing it you know where you almost become a sex addict or a love addict and then they make you so hooked that uh, and that's diagnostic if you're you know having sex four or five six times a day and you know then they're just spraying that obsession poison stuff on you saying you know nobody else will be better and bigger and harder and stronger you know um it's grooming it's grooming you uh for some red flag issues so sometimes people you know distort that and i'm not talking about the honeymoon phase there's the honeymoon safe loving phase and then there's hardcore you know pathology in the bed 
Yeah, that is so true. I remember the first time that we had sex, he afterwards said, you realize we're going to do this all the time, right? And I was like, oh, this is so great because that was like the best ever because he was like my sex toy. I mean, literally, like it was like if you had a human that was a sex toy that was built for your body, that's how he was. And it was so interesting because, you know, he would then start to use it a little bit as control, whereas um, certain things that would really turn me on, for example, he would suddenly just oh, now that we're in the mood, no, I need to go do something else. Which was really, punishing. really... Punishing. Yes, punishing. Yeah, and Very sadistic. And a woman, actually, who was who was on my show talking about her relationship, she said he would withhold sex all the time. At the first, it was wonderful and, and very frequent, and she felt so fulfilled, and then he would reject her constantly. Or make you beg for it, or humiliate, or shame and embarrass you. What we... Oh, okay, she wants to make love. You know what? Get on your knees. And why don't you beg for me for a little bit and then humiliate and then they will, uh, you know, positive reinforce you because they just want to see how shaming, humiliating, embarrassing you can get. And definitely the withholding, whether it is as extreme as you're talking about, like almost like an S&M game or whether it is just a, I'm not feeling well, whether it's not right now for whatever, it, it starts to diminish that sexuality that a woman is and and men I also want to say this can also go both ways and and intergender that somebody is building and and is so precious and then suddenly like you feel like this person has opened up this part of you and you're totally in there with them and then they're just shutting the door well it must be me maybe I don't smell good maybe you have put on too much weight maybe it's you know, maybe I shouldn't have said that thing last night in front of his, you know, boss or whatever it is. You're always looking for a reason that there's something wrong with you. Yes, that is so true. And they will pick at your old wounds. So he knew that I had gone through an eating disorder. So I remember, and this was one of those weird red flags that I actually kind of knew it was a red flag, but it was just not enough to make me take action. But it really affected me because I had done so much work. I was earlier in my healing from the eating disorder, but you know, I still was working on accepting myself fully and all this. And one of the first times that we were intimate, he said something to me like, I'm so impressed that you can walk around naked and be confident. I mean, isn't that something that you've struggled with for so long? Oh my God. And that haunted me for so long because I thought, does that mean he thinks I should not be confident? Like, I've worked so hard to be naked and, and have the lights on, <laughs> yeah. you know? And and then there was another time where he said something about, uh, you know, that, that top actually makes your boobs look good. Like, he put actually in there. So the unsaid is, is just <laughs> as powerful as what's said. There's like yeah, this... Yeah, this... like backhanded compliments, kind of, where it's like, you're almost hot. Yeah. I almost think you're sexy. Oh, it's like the game. It's like that that dating that dating manipulation technique. Oh yeah. Men. Don't talk to the pretty girl. Talk to the less attractive friend and compliment them on the thing that they would be most insecure about, but also poke at other things. Like you know, yeah. I, other people might be intimidated by a woman that as smart as you, but I'm I'm cool with it. Yeah. You know. Oh, you just made me think of something that I think is so important because I've heard this from so many people who've talked to me about their own experiences dating somebody who's sociopathic, and that is safety during sex. And they get you to trust them so much that so many people have told me that they will have unprotected yeah. sex. Yep. Uh, one woman told me that she got pregnant and 
it just changes everything. So it's really important no matter what because you're in that, first there's that honeymoon thing, but it's also mixed together with all this control. And no matter what they say, if they say they got tested, and then you feel guilty saying something like, well, can I see your test uh-uh. results? Don't like, feel guilty, do you no. say. Let's talk about the tests. Uh, some couples get on the same phone with a doctor. Or, you know, and it, it, here's the thing, is anybody could really dummy up reports now. You know what I'm saying? It's like anybody can get anything, whatever. But safe sex is so important. Yeah. Yes. And even if that means, if point. you're not comfortable bringing it up to ask them, do your very best to protect yourself and know that a good person, good partner, is going to be so turned on by the fact that you care about both of your safety. It's actually a it's a it's a hard thing for most people to talk about, I find, whether they're in a good relationship or an unhealthy relationship. So it's something for everyone to get more comfortable with. But I think it's really important to know that if you're scared to even ask them, you know, do That's you intimidation, right? Because they're yeah. going to put that out there like, you're not going to ask me for, come on, let's go. Don't you, you know? trust me? Like, yeah. do you really think I'd be, quote, dirty? Like, and not that somebody with an STD is a dirty person, but they will use that kind of weird control and manipulation. That's another way to spot a sociopath. It's, it's doesn't mean that everybody who does this is one, but it's this defensiveness when being approached with some being asked for confirmation like like well you know I was looking at I was looking at this thing and it said something different than what you had said or them not wanting to give you test results and getting defensive even for asking as opposed to like you said being open and like absolutely you know if if I'm gonna stick my dick in you I should I should be able to talk to you about it I should be honest you know it's amazing how and again, this is a general thing and not just about a relationship with a sociopath, but how people will be physically intimate when they can't talk about it. There's a disconnect. It's like, how can you share your body with someone before your mind? And, and people don't recognize the, uh, the power of when you do both and the intimacy that comes when you do both. Oh yeah, it's so much stronger. You'll have stronger orgasms, you'll have just a deeper connection throughout. And you'll just safe. Like you said, a good relationship, you feel safe in it. Even when you're really excited, you never feel excited but also scared. And not manicky. I think manicky, high, high, high on that carpet ride is very diagnostic. Because sometimes love, well, you know, love's not movie love. You know, maybe the, the first part of falling in love and the honeymoon phase, but you have to come down from that magic carpet ride. And it's not common. If you stay up there, high, 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 manicky, high, that's a red flag right there. And so sometimes people, after they've had those relationships, then have the next one that's like, oh, God, I'm so bored. I'm so, it's dull, it's numb. Actually, that's not such a bad thing. That might be a biological thing. It could be what's going on, that love equals a manicky kind of thing. I mean, there's so much that goes on to what love looks like anyway. And then red flag issues. The other thing I just wanted to bring up is, can we just name a couple people who are men and women who are in that category of sociopaths or could be characters? What comes to your mind about actors or, you know? Well, we were talking about some of these before we started, um, all of us, and we were talking about the main characters on House of Cards, Frank and Claire Underwood. If you watch that show, they both seem to be uh, sociopaths, um, and, and, and also we were, we were talking about Claire, the wife in, in the couple, 
played by Robin Wright Penn and whether or not she is. And, and that is also kind of an interesting thing because women go undiagnosed more often than men. And the prevalence under one's typical definition of sociopathy is like 3% of them are men, 1% are women. So there's a lower percentage of women than men diagnosed anyway. So. Is it that women can hide better? Because I feel like the way that women might manipulate could be different. It Claire is a great example because she has shown a little bit of heartache over a difficult decision. I, I noticed that. But she's cutthroat and she's all about power. And not to give anything away in this series, but... If she doesn't get what she wants, she will be out the door. And so I wonder, I mean, do they blend in easier? I think I, I would say probably for some of the reasons we were talking about uh, uh, other things, that we're social, women are socialized more. Um, and so I think we, we're better at knowing what the social messages are about good and bad, right and wrong, and so you can kind of hide that a little bit more. I don't know. What do you think, Wendy? I think also it is expected that, oh, she's crazy. Oh, she's overreacting. Oh, yeah, she's kind of like following me places. Like, you know, we can, they're a little bit more expected to kind of be more emotional. And so it's a little hard to sift out the red flag issues from just what looks like she's a little crazy. You know, how how often do we hear that? You know, where we're talking to our friends or family or even our clients where men are dating and say, I don't know. She's a little not okay, but uh, they they discount it. And I'm saying, hold on. What are the red flag issues? You know, is it, is it you know, we're we having an emotional, beautifully emotional, I call it, where it's just kind of a emotional reactivity, or is it like something does not feel okay here? Well, it's it's different whether the emotion is a reaction of I want to win, like like jealousy and possessiveness. Is it because you really love that person so much and you want them in your life? Or is it because you don't want somebody else to have them and, you know, they represent something to you? They represent a win. They are powerful. They have a family or friends that you want to be a part of. That So so therefore they're important. They're kind of an important piece on the, the board game for you. And so any threat to the relationship with them becomes a threat to your ability to win. And that's what I think of when I think of Claire, too. Yes, she shows almost an emotional response to loss, but it's, it's, I'm not quite sure whether it is because it's connected to love, which is, that is the thing with sociopaths. They don't, they don't have the capacity to love. They don't have the capacity to have a conscience and empathize. They show no remorse, no shame, no guilt. Um, so anything like loss, what looks like loss, it is a feeling of like frustration and anger for having lost something they wanted to win. Like a possession, like your people are possessions, right? It's yes. That I, I own you and you're kind of a trophy. And so their ego is threatened if they lose you. So you might feel very quote unquote loved, right? <laughs> but it's not the same kind of grief. Right. Yeah. So I think that I, I think that Claire and and Frank Underwood are both. He he seems to be a little bit more obvious. Somebody did a, and I don't have the whole thing, but it was something uh, they did a. Let's look at the presidents and and see how they rate on the scale of sociopathy. And so high on the list were um, again it goes to the fearless dominance idea was Teddy Roosevelt and John F Kennedy, 
And it doesn't mean that they are, you know, psychotic killers. It's just, again, people who are, there's a fearlessness about them. There's an egotistical drive. Trump has that kind of flavor. Right. Uh, inability to apologize of thinking about Trump. It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. Doubling down on absurd statements and like just getting to the point where if you listen to some Trump supporters, they are saying things that he said that if you fact check them have no basis in reality, but they believe that they're real because he said it over and over and over again. Again, it's like a cult leader. And he takes no, uh, there's nothing wrong. He doesn't do anything wrong. He doesn't own anything. He can't, nothing. Everything is, Everybody you else. know. He yeah. sleeps very well at night. <laughs> like he could say things that just hurt millions of people and he just goes right to sleep. Like that's how I feel. Right. Other people will suffer the consequences, but not him. And I'm sorry, Trump people. I'm sure he's very nice. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and I'm, you know, I mean, I think uh, we can look to a lot of different. What is that TV show I was talking about? Breaking Bad? Oh, Breaking Bad. I know yeah. that's old because no, I'm just no, catching up with no, it. No, it no. Walter White it. is definitely Ugh. somebody. You can you can talk about Don Draper on Mad Men. I'm, he shows a little bit more remorse, but he definitely has sociopathic traits. And you do see love for his children, so that can, you know, so that, so he may not be a sociopath, he may just be like a narcissist with a lot of sociopathic tendencies. Um, it's also about survival. There's lots of homeless people cause, who are sociopaths, because the other thing about sociopaths are they're people who do not want to conform to normal conventions. The, the normal rules for everybody else don't apply to them. And that's kind of, that's also goes, that makes me think of Trump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Like, you know, they are, they are somehow beyond mm-hmm. that. I don't know. Obviously, you know, Charles Manson. Um, Jody Arias. That's a big court case that's, she's in jail for a long time. She murdered her boyfriend, Travis. Who's the woman who was the astronaut? Was she an astronaut who put on the the diapers and dro- drove across the country to go? No, murder? but that's another oh, murder. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I don't remember God. her name, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't know. Joey Buttafuoco was yes. one that somebody said. Who is um? Is it Durst? The oh yes. yes. Did you yes. see the miniseries the about jinx. him? Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. If you want to see those moments, because, you know, when he's all alone, he'd be practicing emotions. Right. And for for people like that, it's like, for them to step on a tin can or kill a person, it's like, it's the same kind of thing. I mean, whichever gives them more ego strokes. It's incredible to see that, and it's terrifying. He's like this meek little guy. And affluent and intelligent, well-educated, than the one person in that story who he'd been friends with, who looked to seem to be like this long-term friendship that he'd had. He, I don't know if they ever convicted him. He may or may not have murdered her, right? Eventually, it's like at a certain point, it's here's this one person who's closest. And then there was all the things with the dogs. There were things about him murdering multiple dogs yeah, uh, in an effort to practice skinning animals and getting rid of, the bodies for what he did later with other... I mean, just... 
a little pick-me-up for the week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is a really compelling oh, miniseries, though. Yes. I, mean, I think it's Definitely one that see the is worth seeing. It's just, yeah, it's incredible. And on the other hand, you know how they're very swept away and it could charm everybody. On the other side of that is that people could say, I'm really concerned about you. You look different. You don't look your cheery self. You know what? There's something off. Are you okay? I mean, if people have to go, are you okay? When you're in a loving relationship, that's also diagnostic. So just pay attention to the audience yeah. with this stuff. And also if somebody is, that, again, one of the more harmless, like seemingly harmless people, like the, the people who want to play the victim, who are always trying to elicit pity and get you to take care of them, and it's everybody else is mean to them, it's everybody, the system is against them, that they need to be taken care of, that they are victims, and that they seem on some level, if you have a feeling that they are enjoying playing the victim, that's also something to pay attention to. I think what August said, that fake phony, you know? So, yeah, I I work with a lot of people in uh, substance abuse or use, and they're still trying to find themselves. And I call it the hustler and them or the con artist part. Not always, you know, not saying they're sociopaths or narcissistic, but but there is definitely um, the sociopath part of the substance abuse, the hustler part, the fake phony, I'm going to play you. And it gets so, you know, confused between the healthy part. And so it's so diagnostic again. So when someone comes off as so fake or phony, um, whether they're substance abuse or not, you know, it's, um, it's all to be mindful of. And I just think it's very interesting that out of all of our topics on love, on sex, on eating struggles, um, family stuff, holiday hell, whatever stories we do, I get so much mail on sociopaths, narcissistic, borderline personality disorder. So, um, you know, keep writing us, keep calling us, keep letting us know the the topics you want to hear. But this is fascinating because I think people are really freaked out about it. Yeah, and I think that if I had heard a show like this when I was going through what I was, I would have seen it. You know, I didn't really have the knowledge. So I think these conversations are really important. Absolutely. So what could people write about in their dream journals? Or um, is there something that you might suggest to a client who was coming in trying to extricate themselves from this kind of a toxic relationship? Dr. Wendy's Dream Journal. So in the dream journal, it's not always just journaling. It can be lists. It can be, you know, sketching. It can be bullet points. But if there is some, you know, I love what August said, like she didn't trust herself of what she knew. And so maybe a list of if something's off, just write your red flag issues. Just, you know, make a list of, huh, okay, I might might not trust myself, or but maybe I'm crazy, but let me just write this down. And then before you know it, you might have 10 little red flag issues. He follows me. He shows up places. He can't stop calling me. He is lovely in public. And then he has these explosive episodes, um, you know, whatever it is, the red flag issues. And then maybe you can write a list of uh, some people you can talk to about this and brainstorm. You want to open up the discussion. So tell a friend or go find a therapist, call somebody anonymously. Um, I have a lot of people who just call and don't want to use their name and just say, can I run something past you? And uh, really they're looking for referrals and resources and, you know, um, look at Google articles. Everything is online now, social media. Um, and, And keep yourself safe. And if you don't know, 
if there's a big question mark all over your journal, go get help. Go talk to someone because what's the worst? The worst thing is, okay, well, you thought someone had some issues and everything's okay and a professional and your your group kind of said, okay, you know what? You're kind. You, this is a, a trauma response from your childhood. So maybe the work is with you. Um, but, you know, it's... Uh, it helps sorting that out. Important to check in with yourself first and yeah. not feel embarrassed or shamed about it. That is so true. That is so true. Another thing that I find to be helpful is asking yourself how you would react or how would you want a friend who is in your exact situation, what would you want her or him to do? Because when you step outside of it, we would not put our, our friends through what we put ourselves through when we're in that space. I think that can be really powerful, especially if you're making that list and you see all these things that are really damaging right would that be good enough for your friend or i say would that be good for your daughter if you had a you know a 15 year old daughter is it okay somebody stalking her and writing awful uh things uh, in chalk uh you know in front of the house and says you're crazy it wasn't me or you know popping your tires or somebody writing you notes and then getting you riled up like you know would that be okay what would you tell your kid yeah yeah, go ahead go ahead and date him (laughs) sounds good i also think on top of all those those two things I would also say maybe you want to make a list like like August was talking about at the beginning about um herself getting back in touch with the things when she had a little bit of space yes like maybe you want to make a list of the things that you know to be intrinsically who you are of value like what you value not just even separate from them out beyond the context of the relationship before the relationship that you feel are things that you want in your life moving forward and just to try to have that out there to reconnect with it uh, and hopefully be able to act on it when you feel strong enough, when you feel you are best equipped and you have the resources to do that. There's a wonderful book. It's an autobiography by Helen Reddy. I don't know if anybody remembers. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was very famous for I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar. I love that song, by the way. But, and I know her personally, but her autobiography is amazing. She talks about falling for a charming man and then he becomes her manager and you'll see how it plays out. But she had the most incredible strength and courage to many years later break away and nothing was going to stop her. And out of that powerful life story, she developed that song, I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar. And nothing's going to scare her and nothing's going to let her down. So I as probably will be playing it on the <laughs> the show. Oh, you know I will. Yes. I am woman, hear me roar, in numbers too big to ignore, and I know too much to go back and pretend, cause I've heard it all before, and I've been down there on the floor, no one's ever gonna keep me down again. Go I never knew oh, that had that amazing. That's amazing. It's amazing. Um, and uh, she has a lot of wonderful things to say in the book about how she broke free of a really awful life. Wow. There's another great book that I recommend to everyone, uh, The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. I try to read that again every year, and I got so much hindsight as 2020 from that. Actually, my husband was the one who was like, you should read this book when somebody did something, a stranger sent me flowers, and I was going to call and apologize. <laughs> He's like... Do what you want to do, but you should read this book. And it is so great about connecting with your instincts, as you're saying, Wendy, about how it is so important to listen to that inner voice 
in all situations, not just that you're walking down a dark alley, but in right. general. And then The Artist's Way, I think, is so powerful by Julia Cameron because she it, it's for you know creativity and creative growth and you do lots of journaling and I think it's really important sometimes to free write without judging your thoughts and I I found that to be really powerful because thoughts that I would not let myself think <laughs> about came pouring out and it's it was terrifying and sometimes it's it, all the rational stuff is still there you just got to tap into it yeah uh, so also we talked about the Martha Stout book um, called The Sociopath Next Door. And then there's another book called um, Confessions of a so- Sociopath by Emmy Thomas. There are there are tests online that that you can check out. Um, of course, there's like the most famous and one that, that prof- is professionally used was developed by a guy named Robert Hare. So the sociopath says there's also a book by john ronson called the uh the psychopathy test which is it's the same you know whether you're talking about sociopathy or, or uh psycho uh psychopathy psychopathy i hate i never, i'm never quite sure how to say the pine or those so those, hey those jenny are also books. Yes. excuse me would you suggest that the uh people bring them to a first date those tests <laughs> oh that would be so awesome just kidding <laughs> I'm kidding, but not really. Do you know what I'm saying? A oh fun little icebreaker. You know, it's really, I always feel like Debbie Downer, like when you say like, when somebody is like, oh my God, and they're like so stoked because wow. the guy has like come on like gangbusters and they are like a dream come true. And I just feel, and yes. I've been there before. I've been on the receiving yep. end of that too. And But yep. you just feel like saying like, that sounds wonderful, but like, let's maybe just watch out watch, for your back. Watch out. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. you don't know why, why are they that? intense you know be careful of all that intensity right yeah um and yet we're so happy for people just be safe yeah i mean i think sometimes too i had a friend who was going through that and was in the huge love bombing stage that seemed really red flaggy to me and sometimes i think the best you can do is just say i am so happy for you i went through experience where i had all that romance stuff and it went really bad um I'm hoping that's not what you're going through. But if anything does start to go bad, or if you question anything, like, I am here. Right. Absolutely. Because it could be a wonderful magic carpet ride, uh, you know. Close your eyes, girl. Look inside, girl. Where you never come down, but that's not uh, really uh, reality. Uh, and you, you know. can always you can always slow it down, too. You slow is always the good, one. right? Yeah, slow isn't a bad thing. Yeah, why is everybody so quick? What's up with that? You know, yeah. just you know. Like... What? And I think too, we're if if there is like this, you feel so stubborn about I will not slow down. Like you can't imagine slowing down. I think that's probably a red flag because there's nothing bad, only good that comes from like, let me take a breath yes. and just really savor this experience as I'm getting to know you before we have a date every day. You know, right. if you're scared or, or just so defiant about, I need this now. It's so intense. It feels like a fire. Yeah. That's where I think you look deeper. And then you're on the roller coaster and you can't get off. Totally. Yeah. Scary. Because the fear, But you too. did, girl. You got yeah, off. Yeah, you got I off. Did. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you God. Got so so yeah. how did you, you got out of it by walking away, by moving? Yeah, it was, it was a gradual thing. But the, the biggest thing that helped was the moving. And really, I wouldn't have moved if I weren't passionate about acting. So... You need to find something in your life that matters more. Not that it should matter more than people in your life, 
but that is core to who you are. Yep. That you your whole life is not wrapped up in just this relationship because that's not healthy for anyone. So right. really working on yourself and knowing that if this is a good relationship that's just rocky right now, that'll still help. Like work on yourself. So that was, yeah, that was the biggest thing. But it took me a long time to get past it. And I ended up in therapy later, mm-hmm. not during. And that was very helpful too because there were still kind of these, these kind of loose threads that I wanted to have health and healing for my next relationship and it kept kind of cropping up so it's not like instantly you heal you leave and then you heal just know it's going to be hell and then it gets better and it's better than you can ever imagine and you still may have to work through some things trauma lasts and can come up in the weirdest places and times and you may think you're completely through it and over it and then something like even just starting a relationship with a really nice person and being treated well but it does that feels weird because you're not used to that it totally did and you know? he was so good about the sl- slowing it down or whatever and things that he would do like i i had some trauma over my ex was so controlling and i became dependent on him financially too um, like in his house, you know, he didn't want me doing these certain jobs, whatever. So I had to really work on my attitudes about money, you know, whatever those are. And there's no shame in that. And I think it's really great when, you, when you're when you in a relationship. It's not like you need to be a thousand percent healed and the most perfect you could ever be before you start. But when you're in the relationship, just know it might bring up some things and that's okay. I always think that everything shows up in your life for a reason, and sometimes we don't know the gift. But, August, thank you so much for being here because clearly one of your missions in life is to hand down this experience and empower women and men to get out of really dangerous situations. And so this is a and, – and your wonderful website is just constantly educating others and learning new things. And um, so congratulations on all the wonderful things that you're Absolutely. doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. And yeah. thank you for the work you both do. I just – I think it's awesome and so needed. Well, you can find August at Girl Boner Radio, and you can find her online at augustmclaughlin.com. Uh, do you have a Twitter? You do have a Twitter. I know you do. Yeah, it's August McLaughlin, and if you search for the hashtag Girl Boner, I'm also. But And I have a Girl Boner Facebook page. I'm on Instagram. Everywhere. All right, and you can find me on Instagram at the Preppy Rebel. You can find me on Twitter at Jenny. That's Jenny with an I. Jenny J.V. Wilson. I'm also on Facebook, and you can find us on drwendyoconnor.com, and that's D-O-C-T-O-R. That's spelled out, and Wendy's on Twitter at... Uh, ask Dr. Wendy. And you can find her on YouTube and... Facebook and Facebook. Uh, what else? And, you know, it, it, call us if you have questions and you need referrals or anything. 310, not anything. I'm sorry, I didn't mean that, but... <laughs> <laughs> I can't give you a pizza, We but, can't come over and clean yeah. your house. <laughs> 310-712-1230. And uh, you can leave us a review on iTunes. That would be great, too. And, and like us on Facebook and all that good stuff. And I hope, August, you'll come back and talk to us again. I would love that. Absolutely. Awesome. And I'd love to have you both again on my show. Yeah, love that. And again, everybody, check, check out her podcast. It's fantastic. 
you can find Dr. Wendy did an episode with her as well. So we encourage stay you to safe and, and as, stay open. <laughs> and as always, we encourage you to be as authentically yourself as you can possibly stand. All right. All right. Happy birthday, Dr. Woo! Wendy. Yeah. Yes. I guess it was yourself you were involved with I would have sworn it was me I might have found out sooner if you'd only let me close enough to see listening to The Relationship Show with Dr. Wendy and Miss Jenny, a casual conversation between two friends and colleagues taking serious topics not so seriously. Dr. Wendy O'Connor and Jenny J.V. Wilson see clients in private practice in Los Angeles, California, and can be found online at www.doctorwendyoconnor.com and www.jennijvwilson.com. For entertainment purposes only. I've wondered, have you seen Grey's Anatomy? Yes. There are a couple characters that seem like they might be on the spectrum. But then every once in a while they show like where, you know, they show some some compassion or some empathy that's obvious. Shades of Grey, maybe? The Uh-huh. Yep, the uh what's his name? Christian. Christian, yeah. What's Shades of Grey? Is it oh, that's sex? Fifty Shades of Grey, the movie. Oh, I never oh, seen, oh, I didn't oh, yeah, yeah, read yeah. the book, but I read the book, I didn't see the movie. Jody Arias. Who? Jody Arias. Who's that? You know, the murder. Jody? Arias. Is that a female? I'm sorry. Yeah. The name sounds familiar.